this is Tammy Schutz from Schutz Barossa. Uh, now, Tammy, uh, well, firstly, thank you for joining us on a Sunday morning. Uh, like we had a bit of a chat about on the phone the other day, I thought it'd be great to get a viticulturalist perspective on the year ahead, uh, also maybe the year that, that has been, um, and, uh, and what we can expect to see. So, so can we? Uh, can I hand the reins over to you? Yeah, sure. So um, we did experience a very challenging season last year. Um, it was extremely wet. Um, there were plenty of periods where it was very difficult to get on to spray, to control uh, fungal disease and so forth, and it just seemed to keep on raining. And in the mm -hmm. years that I've been a grower, I haven't seen a year like that. Um, but we got through it. Um, it still produced some fantastic fruit. Uh, this year has been a little bit different. Uh, winter rainfall, uh, we had above rainfall in June. July and August were below average. Um, and then September and October were also below average. So we had a really dry start to the growing season. Um, when we have a dry start to the growing season, this can impact the growth that you see in the canopies early on. Um, and it can also affect sets. Um, so that, that was a little bit of an issue. But since then, we have had quite significant rainfalls in November, December and January. So it's been above average. So every year there's always, there's always something different thrown at us. Oh, so of course, there are always different yeah. challenges, swings and roundabouts. So what does that actually mean for for wine, uh, winemakers and the wine industry? So uh, basically um, the rainfall that we have received this growing season so far has been very timely. Um, because we're producing fruit uh, for iconic wines, we're very conscious of keeping the berry size down, keeping the fruit concentrated, uh, so we won't irrigate unless we really need to. Uh, so the timing of the rainfall has been really uh, very good. Um, the canopies are looking healthy, but the berry size is still small, so we're still going to end up with concentrated, high-quality fruit uh, for, the, for the iconic wines that your listeners would be drinking. Well, I tell you what, then that's actually music to our ears. I mean, it, it, it is always a shame when there's, you know, far, far less yield uh, and, and quantity, but provided the quality's there, I guess that's the most important thing. So, and, and as you actually mentioned, it's more the iconic wines that we really want to be able to invest in. So why don't you, uh, why don't you tell us about some of those wines and in, in your experience um, as a viticulturalist, what, what are those iconic wines? Uh, so I'm um, actually just, having my coffee here at the moment overlooking our dry grown Shiraz vineyard at Stonewell. Um, this vineyard has been dry grown right from the from the word go, uh, which I think is really important when you're planting a dry grown vineyard so the roots can get down deep into the clay. Uh, they're not reliant on irrigation at all. Uh, and this vineyard has produced Grange, Penfolds Grange over many years. Um, so our, basically our focus is to produce this high quality red fruit for these iconic wines. Um, we grow for prestigious wine brands, including Torbrecht, Rockford, Seppelsfield, John DeVau and Henschke. Uh, so we're very proud to be associated with such amazing wineries and winemakers. Yeah. Um, and I think in a year like this, where we have needed very little supplementary irrigation, even on our other blocks that aren't dry grown, I think the fruit will end up being a true expression of the terroir and it will be a true expression of the growing season. 
That's that's wonderful. That is really, really good to hear, especially and that's why I wanted this sort of interview to you know to kick off the year. It's great to hear that twenty twenty four is looking so good. So you're overlooking Stonewell, of course there's the famous Peter Lehman Stonewell uh, Stonewell wines. Do you have anything to do with that? No, not to do with that that wine brand. Um, but I did I grew up only a kilometre away from where I, I live now. Um, funny stories that uh, my husband Stuart and I we were both um, we were both brought up on great growing uh, great growing properties in the Barossa, uh, mm. and we both decided we wanted to do that for our career. And in ninety seven ninety eight, Stuart was planting a vineyard at Ebenezer, Northern Barossa, in the red clay out there, and I was planting my vineyard here at Stonewell. We didn't know each other; only lived a kilometre away from each other, uh, <laughs> but we're going through the same motions of setting up setting up our vineyards and and. Um, making our own mark in the in the industry and then met five years later and joined forces and um, luckily our our, um, our viticultural philosophies align and um, uh, we work together now to to um, run all of our vineyards well it actually seems that you're you're now a force to be reckoned with as a couple I I just mentioned earlier on in the intro that um, you were both joint uh, viticulturists of the year for um, Barossa last year congratulations thank you yeah that was um, an unexpected accolade but it's something that uh, we really appreciate receiving from barons of the Barossa and um, yeah it also opens doors and and um, gives us an opportunity to to speak about what we're passionate about. So um, yeah, we appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Uh, what sort of doors does it open? Do you feel comfortable talking about that? Um, I guess uh, we have existing relationships uh, with the wine companies that we sell our fruit to. Um, but, you know, we've had additional people knocking on our door asking for our fruit. Unfortunately for them, it's all contracted. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, there's opportunities there in the future. Uh, we also have a a section of our vineyard at Ebenezer that we call small batch. So it gives us an opportunity to work with some smaller winemakers to do little individual projects, um, which, which we find really interesting, um, rather than all of, your, all of your fruit from the vineyard going to a particular winery. It's, it's great to be able to work with some smaller winemakers and, and see how that fruit, um, how, the wine, how that fruit is expressed in their wines. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's important to have big brands, but doing the more smaller boutique things, it's almost you know, it's a different approach. You know, different different sizes um, and different scales means that it obviously is a different uh, different business approach to it. Um, so, so you're actually you, are you born and bred in Barossa? You, you grew up only a kilometre down the road. Is that uh, is that right? Yes, yes. So both Stuart and I. Um have been uh, have been born and raised in the Barossa, and for generations, our, both of our families have grown grapes. Um, so yes, it's, uh, it's interesting to um, get together with someone that's got that shared background and that shared childhood, and yeah. and even the even the Barossa traditions that we still carry on. There's food traditions and there's um, music traditions, you know, involvement in brass bands, all that sort of stuff that we share that common ground. It's it's very special. Yeah, I, I I bet that's so. You must be like a a, a, a sixth generation something like yes. that. Yes, yes. Sixth generation. yeah, okay. 
So, Spencer, we've actually been speaking about Barons of Barossa a, a lot lately. Of course, you just mentioned them because they're behind that Viticulturist of the Year award. I think that would be coming up again. They do that February every year, don't they? Yes, it's kind of early right. in the yes. year thing, right? So, yes, yeah, so it's only well next month we'll be able to uh, see who who the the new up and comers are. Um, so that's I find quite interesting how the the role of the viticulturalist itself um, has changed um, over the years. So, considering you've been a part of it and in the Barossa for so long, how have you seen the evolution of of that role? I think it's it's certainly changed in relation to how close the relationship is between the grower and the grower liaison officer at that wine company. Um, as far as we've, we're concerned, if we have a particular block going to a certain winery, we know, we pretty much know which wine that will be going into. So we've very much got that in mind every step of the way as we're growing that fruit. Because it needs to, it needs to match their style, it needs to um, be of the concentration that they're looking for for that product. Um, so it's a very strong relationship. Uh, we have um, representatives, usually a grower liaison officer or a winemaker coming out regularly to our blocks each step of the way, pruning time, um, shoot thinning, bunch thinning, um, veraison. We will be talking with them. We'll be walking through the vineyards um, and can, yeah, keeping their lines of communication open so they know what we're doing. Um, and they're on the same page right through to harvest. So do you feel like there was yeah, there was a time where uh, it was maybe more of a siloed approach, viticulturalist and also viticulture and winemaking, and now it's more, very, more I guess, hand in hand? Oh, very much so. And mm. um, we're constantly um, encouraging winemakers to be out there as much as possible so they understand what we're doing <laughs> And, and we can understand what they're looking for um, and ensure that it all aligns at vintage time rather than, you know, just having one visit at the end of the growing season. If you have visits throughout the growing season, we can ensure that we're doing everything we need to in the vineyard to produce the fruit that they need in the winery at harvest. For, for sure. I mean, that's crucial. So, so on that... Um can you, from your perspective, can you give us the layout of how a, I'd like, I'd like to say typical year, but um, I guess no year is actually typical, especially these days, but how, from a month to month sort of basis, what do we expect to see? What's happening in February? What's happening in March, April, etc.? Can you take us through the calendar year? Yeah, sure. So at the moment, January, um, we're looking at Verizon. So as your listeners would know, that is when the berry begins to soften. Um, so the, the sugar levels increasing, the acid levels decreasing and the flavours are beginning to develop. Uh, so you'll see the change of colour in red varieties. Um, so January, that's the, that's the main thing that's happening. Um, we will do a little bit of bunch thinning if need be. Um, sometimes you get a few small bunches that are lagging behind and we'll remove them so that, that the fruit is completely even at harvest time. Um, the other thing in January is bird control. As soon as the fruit starts colouring, the birds are pretty keen to get in there. So mm -hmm. that's an issue. Uh, yep. February, so February in the Barossa, we will begin picking white varieties. Um, we will be sampling. So we sample every week, sometimes twice a week. And then the, the samples are tested for the sugar levels and the acid. Um, and the winemakers will be out tasting. We'll be tasting with them. 
and and um, deciding how far out vintage is and then begin scheduling. So in March, um, usually early March, we'll pick Shiraz in the Barossa. Uh, so as I said, that's picked on sugar, acid and flavour. So that will be scheduled. Um, some machine picking, some hand picking, depending on, on the uh, preference for the winery. Uh, so pretty much all of March and some of April will be harvest in the in the valley. Um, the late varieties, Grenache and Matara, usually in April. Uh, so end of April, we'll see the vine leaves change colour and the vines are putting away their carbohydrate reserves for use in winter and early spring. Uh, then we'll move to May. So in May, we've got the beginning of leaf fall and the beginning of dormancy. Uh, so we'll, that's the time where we'll be putting out fertiliser. Um, so obviously in in the winter, the vines can't photosynthesise that. They don't have any leaves, um, but they're still respiring. So there's still those basic metabolic processes going on and they're using those carbohydrate reserves that they've put away in their roots and their trunks and their cordons um, to keep functioning until until the spring when they, um, when they have enough leaves to photosynthesise again. Um, so that's May, June pruning begins uh, and I think this is probably the most important aspect of the whole season because you're setting up the architecture of the vine and this, this is the first step towards producing quality fruit. If you don't get the bud numbers right, you are not going to have the vine set up with the yield and the structure that you need to produce the fruit that, at the level that you want. Um, so that's very, a very important stage. Uh, July and August, we're still pruning. Um, and then you need to have your pruning finished by bud burst in September. Uh, so bud burst is dependent on your timing of your pruning and your variety, but also on air and soil temperature. Um, because it was a very dry spring, we had uh, slightly earlier bud burst this season. Um, so that's when the sap flow increases uh, the vines are still using their carbohydrate reserves for a, about a month after bud burst until those shoots are um, of adequate length that they can start photosynthesising. Um, but yes, there's a, a lot of a lot of shoot growth at that time of year, September and October, um, and the shoots can grow up to three centimetres in one day. So um, there's a lot wow. going on. Yeah. Gosh, so the, the other thing uh, that we're always a bit nervous about in September and October is frost. Um, spring weather can be unpredictable. So frost and hail can be things that we, we're really looking out for. Um, and October, so you've got a growth phase in October. Those shoots are really moving along. Um, we, we do shoot thinning usually early October. Uh, so this is another quality control measure. Um, we want the shoots to be strong. We don't want little short shoots with bunches on because that will not produce good fruit. So sure. we'll go, go through every single vine and remove any unnecessary shoots. So it's quite time consuming, um, but it's, it's another <laughs> level of control, I guess, that we have mm. in, in, a, um, in a situation there's so many uncontrollable things to do with the weather. It's just something else we can do to, to ensure we produce that quality. 
Yeah, try, try and maintain that sort of structure and yeah, routine for sure. For yeah. sure. There's, there's there's a lot there's a lot going into it, isn't it? And it's not like that's a surprise, but there really is. You know, you think sort of like high level, but it's there's just so much intricacy involved, uh, so much on the on the science side of things, and and of course you know, the, the the agricultural perspective of it. It's um. It's it's a tough gig. Have you really have do you, do you find that your role is is quite affected by the change over the last few uh, few years, where everything seems to be being pushed back uh, a, a bit later? Uh, do you kind of then just roll everything back, or do you have to play a bit of catch up? Sorry, just sorry. Could you just rephrase that? I've sure, sure. The question. So so given that in the last few years, whether it's climate change or whatever it is, um, uh, let's just say that harvest and uh, sort of things being pushed back, you know, quite often um, met sometimes four or six weeks later than normal. How does that impact your job? Do you then have to play a bit of catch up for the rest of the months and what need like your milestones? Or well, does everything yeah. naturally kind of be pushed back? like the same amount? Well, it was um, very interesting last year. Uh, we usually have a break between harvest and and pruning so we can, you know, get away, have a, you know, not, not be worrying about the vineyard while we're away and all the rest of it. Um, and there was, uh, I think, a week and a half between harvest and when we had to get ready for pruning. <laughs> so, yeah, wow. so it, it was very... No pressure. I, no. So I think <laughs> this year, every year is different. Um, I think this year we'll be back to what we would normally expect in the Barossa, if you can if you can say normal anymore. Um, but yes. I think back yeah. to picking whites in February, picking picking Shiraz first week of March or late February. So um, it really depends on the rainfall and the season, season by season, as opposed to this is the new norm. Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. And I guess that's with, with any form of, of, of agriculture, I guess that is just the way, isn't it? You, I guess you need to know, you need to know your gig and your role so well that you can roll with those punches and, and kind of uh, push it through. And of course, as you said earlier, there are years where you just get so little fruit and there is more devastation. There are other years where they're just harder, but then you get, you know, better quality and, and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, yeah. And it is a tough gig, um, especially growing top-end fruit, because it is high risk. Um, yes. But Stuart yeah. and I have both said we're at that stage in our career. We just want to grow top-end fruit. We just want to be associated with those brands that are producing the best of the best. And we, yes. want, we know our sites are capable of it, so we yeah. feel that we should be producing the best our vineyards are capable of. So, yeah, we're willing to take the risk. It's just not always yeah. easy, but um, that's our path, so... That's 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 it. Uh, look, tell me, we've had a text in from Christopher, one of our fabulous avid listeners. Morning, Christopher. He says, "Hi, Jill and Ethan. I had a wonderful four days in Panola and Coonawarra last weekend. On the Friday, I went to Parker Coonawarra Estate, Leakenfield, Bowen, and Balnaves. On the Saturday, I went to Patrick of Coonawarra, Magella, Zima Estate, Rimmel, Catnook, and Raiders Estate. Last Sunday, I went to." Dio Giorgio Family Wines, Redmond, Winds Coonawarra Estate and Atelier. Purchased some amazing Cab Sav and Riesling. Dinner at Piper's of Panola was lovely and lunch at Atelier was amazing from Christopher. So thank you very much, Christopher, for uh, sharing that with us. And got another one. Uh, Christopher would, has a question for you. 
Uh, Tammy would like any uh, a question as to whether you, Tammy, would like any of the producers to make a single vineyard wine from their fruit, from your fruit, and if you had discussions with the winemakers about that. Uh, yes, in the past we have had single vineyard uh, wines made from our fruit. Um, so yeah, that's definitely happened. Uh, we also are involved in some small groups as part of the larger wineries that we sell fruit to. Uh, we are part of the Grenache Project, which is a group that Penfolds have put together. Um, mm -hmm. So we go and visit. There's a, just a small amount of growers in this group that want to produce high-end Grenache. Um, so we have, uh, every couple of months, we go around and visit each other's vineyards. We taste the fruit. We talk about viticultural practices. Um, and it, it's something great to be involved in. And, and Penfolds have then produced a, it's called Bin 21 Grenache, as a result of that group. Um, so, yes, we've been lucky enough to be involved in single vineyard wines as well as small group projects, which is which are really interesting. That That is, and just on that, that bin, bin 21, was it? Yeah. Penfolds. I mean, Penfolds aren't known for Grenache as much as they're obviously other, other wines. Um, why why now is this is this just proof that Grenache is the varietal to be uh, to be watching that it's the perfect area for it what's what's the what's the huge interest well uh, Barossa produces amazing Grenache uh, mm -hmm. if it's grown in the correct correct way uh, but sure. Penfolds has a winemaker <coughs> excuse me Siobhan Wells who is extremely passionate about Grenache she always has been um, and it was her aim to have a Grenache, a special Grenache wine for, specifically from the Brossa. Um, and it's so great to see the whole process through, you know, from getting a small group of growers together, visiting the, visiting the vineyards and, you know, years later, it resulting in this Bin 21 wine. Um, so, yes, it's really a lot to do with Siobhan's passion as well as uh, this small group of growers. Right. And uh, so you've also got yourself involved in, in other wines. Was there a label Red Nectar Wines? Uh, so, yes, yeah, some years ago, uh, so, well, soon after I planted my vineyard when I was 19, um, I decided to, I want to see the whole process through. Um, so I did have my own wine label for a while, but I then had uh, three boys under two um, and decided I was probably a little bit busy to do that. So I focused on what I enjoyed doing the most, uh, which was growing the fruit. Um, but yep. yes, having twins and then having another son close soon after, uh, it put the pressure on as far as uh, travel and so forth because I was selling my wine into into Russia, Israel, UK, US, wow. you name it. Um, so there was uh, to be a lot of travel involved. So I just put that in the back burner focused on family uh, but my boys are actually at that age now they'll soon be beginning their viticulture studies at uni um, so they may well take up that mantle and and um, produce their own wine one day so we'll see oh, which I'm sure you would be very very proud of that's awesome <laughs> you're, yeah. you're a busy woman Tammy oh yeah <laughs> um, I didn't finish off the calendar of um, the growing season. So I should just finish um, saying that in November we have flowering. Um, so that's a time of the year that we don't want unpredictable weather. We don't want weather extremes. We don't want water stress. We just want nice sunny days, not too windy, 
um, so that the flowering can go through quickly and we can have a good set. So uh, soon after that, we have bunch sets. December, the berries enlarge. Um, we try and limit uh, any irrigations during that period to keep that berry size small. Once again, for the concentration of flavours and uh, flavour and colour within the berry. Um, and then we're back to the raisin again. So that completes the, the calendar. Well, <laughs> that, that, that completes it. Look, Tammy, thank you very much. You've given us a great overall view of the viticulturist role, uh, what to expect in the year, and also great to hear this tidbits that, uh, that, that you know the most recent vintage is producing some very high quality wines, which as you say is exactly what we want to hear because that's where we want to be uh, putting our money. So thank you very much for your time and congratulations again on your fabulous accolade from last year. It will be very interesting to, uh, to see who wins the viticulturist of the year this year, and I'm sure you're probably very good friends with them. But um, I do appreciate your time and have a lovely Sunday. Excellent. Thanks a lot, Jill.